This is how history is written. French General Joseph Galliani. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and I hope you're having a great Sunday. Today, we continue our Revisionist History Podcast book club with a look at the second quarter of Barbara Tuckman's classic World War I chronicle, The Guns of August. In my copy, the second part goes roughly from page 125 to page 250. If you missed the discussion on the first part of the book, you might want to go back and listen to that episode, which is dated August 9th, 1st. The section we're looking at today covers the mobilization of the opposing armies and the first combat of the war, the German invasion of neutral Belgium, and the initial French action in Alsace-Lorraine. We've moved into a part of the book that, as I mentioned, would happen last episode, brings in a fair amount of information about troop movements troop strengths, the numbering of armies, and geography, while still keeping the focus on the personalities involved. Not being an expert in French and Belgian geography, I think it's helpful to keep a map of the region close by to consult at various points. My only real complaint with the book is that the few maps it does provide are both cluttered and incomplete. I found myself almost skimming some of the passages on the movements of corps and divisions. So overwhelming can they become at times. This isn't really a complaint, simply an observation. And that aside, let's look at a few key points from this latest section. One thing that stands out that was also covered in the first section is the near fanaticism with which the general staff of each country held to their pre-war battle plans. These plans were given almost religious devotion, with any suggestion of change, even after the first shots were fired and conditions dictated change, seen as heresy of the highest order. Boxer Mike Tyson once said that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. The French, German, and British generals would have done well to listen to Mike. The French especially, convinced of their plan to break through Alsace and reach Berlin before the Germans could make it to Paris, were particularly obstinate to their detriment. The Germans, convinced that Belgium would simply stand aside as they violated its neutrality on the way to France, were just as blinded by their own self-infatuation. The only ones who seemed to see reality and act accordingly were the Belgians under the heroic King Albert. Pitting indefensible forts and only six divisions against the German 70 divisions the Belgians' resistance is not nearly credited enough in the history of the war. Like Travis and the defenders of the Alamo, Albert and the Belgians' loss was a foregone conclusion. Yet their valiant stand both slowed the German advance, causing horrific reprisals against their civilian population, and inspired the rest of the world. Had the French reacted as they should have, abandoned their original plan, and rushed to Albert's defense as their treaty with Belgium dictated, the Germans might have been turned back in the first months of the war and millions of lives saved. 
Next, I want to mention what is one of my favorite chapters so far about the British Navy's pursuit of the German battlecruiser Gebbin across the Mediterranean to Constantinople and her captain's amazing avoidance of the British all the way across the Mediterranean. Seen at the time as little more than a footnote, the Gibbons' arrival in Turkey ultimately pushed the Ottoman Empire to join the war on the side of Germany and Austria, expanding the conflict deeper into the Balkans and across the Middle East. This diverted massive numbers of British and Russian troops, prolonging the war by years and ultimately shaping the future of the Middle East in a way we're still dealing with today. That, except for horribly poor communication among the British High Command, the Gebbin could have been sunk well before reaching Constantinople, is one of the great missed opportunities in the history of warfare. There's also an interesting backstory to this chapter. At one point during the pursuit, it's mentioned, almost in passing, that a passenger ship traveling from Venice to Constantinople witnessed the British cruiser Gloucester firing on the Gebbin as she cruised toward Turkey. The brief paragraph notes that on board this passenger ship were the American ambassador to Turkey, Henry Morgenthau, his daughter, son-in-law, and three grandchildren. Henry Morgenthau was the grandfather of Guns of August author Barbara Tuckman, and one of those three grandchildren on board was two-year-old Tuckman herself. Though she certainly had no first-hand recollection of the event, that she was present at this pivotal moment in world history, and then later wrote about it, is pretty damn cool nonetheless. My final takeaway from this section ties back to revisionist history and the quote from General Galliani that opened this episode. We're reading books on this podcast to learn the real history of events in order to combat the myths. But even here, we can see them at work, sometimes firsthand. In those first chaotic days of the war, when the press was essentially deprived of any real information and rumors ruled the day, the French general was having dinner in a small cafe in Paris, wearing not his uniform, but civilian clothes. While dining, he overheard a newspaper editor at the next table tell a companion, quote, I can tell you that General Galliani has just entered the town of Colmar with 30,000 men, end quote. Unaware that the general was actually mere feet away, he did not hear Galliani quietly, quietly tell his friend, this is how history is written. I like that Tuckman included this anecdote. It makes what we do on this podcast feel all the more important. So that's our look at the second part of the Guns of August for this Sunday. We're halfway through, and in the next section, the war really gets going. We'll discuss that next Sunday, and there'll be other episodes in between then. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content 
and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.